Hey, stranger, you're listening to Tell Good Stories. Um, my name is Jackie Hedeman, and right now I'm a grad student at the Ohio State University getting my MFA in creative nonfiction writing. When I was well, probably in kindergarten, my mom read this book, The Wolves of Willoughby Chase, to me. And I really liked it, but it was kind of like one in a series of books that my mom read to me. Um, so, you know, it went the way of, like, Little House on the Prairie, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all those. And then I was um, – my mom is an art history professor, and she was on sabbatical in Paris for six months when I was 10. I went with her and enrolled in a bilingual French-English school. And we lived in this tiny apartment, and we arrived in January, so it was cold and dark, and I didn't know any French, and I had to kind of, like, make friends with people halfway through a semester. So she rewarded me for my hard work by making these solo trips to the American Library in Paris every week and bringing me back books to read that a friend of hers um, had gotten you know, kind of like a recommendation list from the librarian at the school where he worked. And on this list was this book by Joan Aiken called Black Hearts and Battersea. And I loved this damn book. Like, it was so good. It was my pillar, my Bible. And I found out by sending mom back to the American Library to get more by Joan Aiken that it was part of a series. And not only was it part of a series, but The Wolves of Willoughby Chase was the first in the series. So I'd already embarked on it without even knowing. Um, And I got so into this. Like, I would draw pictures of my favorite characters and hang them above my bed while I slept at night. So I would dream about the characters in all kinds of sort of, like, adventure configurations. And I had this really big crush on this character named Simon. Um, Like, really kind of probably my first crush on anyone, like, fictional or living. (laughs) And... um, in Black Arts and Battersea, this character Dido Twite appears, and she's kind of just like a secondary character, but she's really incredibly well written. Um, and she, um, spoiler alert for anyone who's going to read Black Arts and Battersea, she apparently dies at the end of the book, although it happens off see off screen, and you don't really hear about it. Um, so it's up in the air whether she's alive or not. And then there's um, a bunch more books in the series where you do find out that she is in fact alive. But um, the series really does kind of like start to focus on her. And the reason is apparently right after Black Hearts and Battersea came out, this little girl wrote Joan Aiken a letter and said, you can't kill off Dido. That is, you can't do that. I won't let you. You have to tell me she's alive and coming back. But um, she wrote to the publisher, and the publisher didn't forward her return address, so Joan Aiken couldn't write back to her and say, oh, yeah, I have been thinking of writing another book about Dido. Let me give you the information. So instead, she just had to write the book about Dido and publish it and hope the little girl saw it. I only I found all of this out later, but I just love it. It's, I think it's amazing. Um, I didn't know any of that at the time. I just knew I really liked the series, um, and that while Dido was great, I really missed Simon. So when we got back from France, I still was really into it, and there were a cu- there were new ones still coming out. And so my mom told me, well, if you really want to know if she's planning on writing any more about Simon and, like, a couple other characters, you should write to her and ask her. And I said, 
she can't do that. She's a published author. And my mom, a published author, albeit in like academic art history text, was like, I think you can still write to her. I think she'll really enjoy it, actually. But let me give you the address of her British publisher, because I think her American publisher will just ignore you. So she goes online, and she finds the address of Joan Aiken's British publisher, and she gives me the address, and then just kind of like sent me on my way. No, you know, maternal advice on how to craft a letter. So I write a letter, and I send it up to the British publisher, and I expect nothing. And after, I don't remember how much time passed. It felt like a really long time. May have been weeks, may have been a month. I come home from school, and there's this blue aerogram sitting with the mail on the dining room table. And the return address says, Joan Aiken, The Hermitage, Petworth, Sussex, bunch of, you know, English area code numbers and letters. And I just kind of, like, died. Um, Opened the letter, and she said, you know, thanks very much. And it started this correspondence that went on forever, um, five years-ish, until she died. And over the course of this correspondence, I said, yeah, I really like writing. I really like reading. Um, I really like your character, Dido, even though I know I first wrote you about Simon. And she said, well, you know, Dido quite is based on a character from Dickens. And I asked, oh, that's cool. What Dickens character? She goes, I'm not going to tell you. You just have to read Dickens. So I'm like mm, 12, 13 at this point. I've never read Dickens before. But I started reading Dickens just to find this character. Um, and because I was reading Dickens, I started reading Alexander Dumas and Wilkie Collins and Charlotte Bronte and Emily Bronte and Jane Austen. And I started to decide, hey, maybe I want to, like, really write. I'd written a little bit in college. Not in college. Wow, that would be interesting. I'd written a little bit in elementary school before this, but kind of just, like, for assignments and for, you know, whatever. But this was like, oh, wow, I want to do what these people are doing, just, like, inventing worlds and people and introducing them to us. Um, so I started, you know, like winning writing awards in school and I would write Joan Aiken about that too. And she would congratulate me. And all the while I'm reading Dickens and I'm not finding anything. So she dies in 2004 and I still hadn't found the Dickens character. And I was pretty upset about this because it was sort of the first time in my life that I was being confronted with unfinished business. Um, but I kind of shelved my disappointment because I thought that was just like a really good experience. And I'm really happy that I kind of got over my fear of contacting a published author and wrote to her in the first place. And it was, you know, more than I could have predicted. So that was that. So at some point in college, like years later, I decided to Google Joan Aiken. And I wish I could remember why I did this. Um, I tried to kind of like retrace my steps in my mind, and I have no idea what the impetus was. Um, but I did. And the first hit, like even above Wikipedia, was this site called The Wonderful World of Joan Aiken. And I clicked, and I found out it was being run by her daughter, who some of her books are dedicated to. And um, it had like all these pages of information and like downloadable wallpapers and like bookmarks to print out and, you know, cut up and use as bookmarks. And they had one page that was just scans of, like, all these fan letters. So I'm reading through, like, wow, this is amazing. So many other people are writing to her. And I find one of my letters. And in it, I'm asking for another hint about Dickens. And next to the letter on this website is a link. And it's in the shape of a key. And it says, do you want to know the answer to the mystery? Click this key. So I just, like, I think I was alone in my parents' house, I think over summer break, 
and I shrieked, and my heart starts pounding incredibly fast, and I click the key, and it's a passage from Old Curiosity Shop, which was on a list of four books that I had yet to read that I tucked away with all the letters that I got from Joe Nakin in a folder up in my room. Old Curiosity Shop, there's this scene where one of the characters is trying to rent a room or check in somewhere, and this little lacy girl is, like, explaining what the rates are, and that's it. And Dido Twight is based on that girl, and I would never have known if I had not found this website. Um, so I was just like, that's amazing. You can't make that stuff up. That just sometimes happens, and it's so incredible. So I found her daughter's email address, which was on the website, and I sent her an email just, like, thanking her. And she goes, oh, my goodness, I was so – I was hoping you would get in touch. Um, I wanted to say how fun this was. I really enjoyed going back over your letters. Um, and we, you know, exchanged a few emails, but it never got to kind of, like, the volume that I exchanged with her mother. Um, I let her know when I got into the writing program that I'm in now in grad school because I really do kind of chart my interest in writing. Um back to her mother in terms of, like, when it really got kicked off. And I kind of wish I had been able to tell her that, but also part of me thinks she knows or knew. Um, so, but, like, you know, a few emails. Then this past, um, this January, actually, I was in London, and I thought, you know, <laughs> I should try to meet up with Joan Aiken's daughter. So I emailed her, and she said, oh, I would love to meet, um, but you can't take me out to tea. Come here. And I will show you the Joan Aiken shed. And I said, I said to myself, oh, Joan Aiken shed. I cannot pass this up. Um, so I picked a day at random, you know, between then and when I was leaving. And I showed up at her lovely home in Highgate. And um, I had, like, no sooner walked in the door than she says, do you realize what day it is today? And I said, no. And she goes, this is Joan Aiken's death day. And I kind of had this little, like, oh, my God, because I had no idea. I had no memory of it. I, you know, it wasn't a date that meant anything to be specifically. And she said, yeah, so you really just kind of feel like a gift from her to me today. Um, so we had this lovely conversation. She showed me um, my letters that I had written that were kept alongside some other letters in a folder that was labeled personal friends family. And um, we had tea, and we talked about a bunch of stuff, how much she hates Brexit, how much I hate Donald Trump. Um, we went out back. She did, in fact, show me the Joan Aiken shed in her back garden, which is this, like, lovely, green-painted, cozy shed full of Joan Aiken's books, all different volumes, I mean, editions, all different languages. Her typewriters out there. Her notebooks are out there. Um at one point, I'm pretty sure I said, like, 13-year-old Jackie is shrieking right now because she was. And the weirdest thing about this whole experience was um, I find it really moving to kind of look back on the afternoon I spent with her. But at the time, it felt so normal because there was, like, no nostalgia because the distance between me and 13-year-old Jackie was not, like – the distance of memory because she was like right there in the room with me like I was her she was me we were there seeing the Joan Aiken books just like dying of happiness um so that was great and um I was there for probably like three hours or so just chatting seeing things and as I'm leaving she said to me you know 
your name was familiar. I before I started putting the website together and chose your letter, like you were mentioned. I knew who you were. And that just meant like so much to me because even having had this correspondence and having gotten over my initial reluctance to write to a published author, there was always kind of this sort of like musing in my heart about like how close was this connection with this person I had never met. But apparently it was there um, from both of our sides. So it was really just kind of like this magical capstone to this lifelong um, fascination with a particular author, but also with sort of like the world she created. Thank you to Jackie Hedeman for sharing her story with the world. This episode of Tell Good Stories was made possible by Chloe of Cambridge, Massachusetts. I can't imagine having gone on this journey without her support. Chloe's voice also graces the intro uh, to the first season of this podcast. Chloe, I hope that internet cats forever fill your timeline. And listeners, remember to thank your people. Seriously, go out there, say thank you. It'll mean a lot to them. Okay. Uh, I found wisdom this week in the words of yet another modern philosopher, Kanye West, who states, reality is catching up with me. Taking my inner child, I'm fighting for custody. Deep words, man. Deep words. Giving me flashbacks to my time in family court. I was not in family court. I mean, I was like working there, but... I swear that was like boot camp for listening to people tell you crazy stories. Okay, the second uh, piece of everywhere wisdom is from Lito y Manolo, who say, No pare, sigue, sigue. No pare, baila, baila. In English, don't stop, don't stop, keep going. Don't stop, dance, dance. All right, you can always reach me at admin at tellgoodstories.com or on Instagram at tellgoodstories for pictures of the road trip or production or sometimes of internet cats if I'm in the mood. You can check out the songs that I quoted in the episode notes. All right, signing off.